Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Bonjour. Bonjour. Mm. I am so grateful. I think I say that a lot. I know I do. I hear myself say it. But I am. I am truly grateful over and over again throughout the day. Gratitude and love. That's what I say in Finding Freedom, Masterful Living in my programs. Gratitude is the way I walk in love. Yes, gratitude is my spiritual practice. Gratitude and love. These are part of my spiritual practice, going back to them again and again and again throughout the day. So yes, very grateful. My name is Jennifer Hadley. I am grateful. And I'm grateful for A Course in Miracles. I'm grateful for you and our connection via these episodes of this podcast that I have been doing since September 2011. So as of right now, it is, I think, 12 years-ish that I've been doing this program. And what's really wonderful is uh, a lot of the people who come into the Power of Love Ministry into our Sundays with Spirit program on Sundays and people who come into Finding Freedom, Masterful Living, the Stop Playing Small Retreat, the Spiritual Counseling Training, all the different programs that we have. People tell me they found me because of this podcast and... <laughs> It's just a way for us to connect. And so many people have told me that listening to the episodes has really helped them. And that's what my strong intention is, to be truly helpful and that I would find some way to share something, whether it's anything I plan to say or not, does not matter, and that it would be helpful, truly helpful to particularly to anyone who's struggling because I know what it is to struggle and I know what it is to feel like I'm failing and flailing and a fake spiritual student I know what that is like and that is very painful and we can truly heal that dissolve that resolve that so quickly if we just know how to do it. Yes. 
So I'm thinking about these things today because our topic is the fear of healing and that I I got led to chapter 27, section 2. Chapter 27 is the healing of the dream and section 2 is about the fear of healing. And so we're going to look at that and I'm going to pray first. So let's place our hand on our heart and wholeheartedly partner up with that higher Holy Spirit self. Let us recognize our holiness blesses the world. Let us recognize that our holiness is going before us, behind us, above us, beside us. In all places, all situations, all conversations, let us put our holiness in charge. I was in prayer earlier, in meditation earlier, and came to me so strongly that I truly am no longer interested in shoring up the ego identification, perpetuating the ego identification, soothing the ego identification. Not in myself or anyone else. Not needing to make myself or anyone else wrong or bad for the moments when we're ego identified, but not wishing to contribute to that anymore. Really feeling complete with the operating from ego identification and perpetuating ego identification. So let's let's have at it here. Let's jump into this. Okay, so now let's pray. <laughs> Placing my hand on my heart, I'm grateful and thankful to recognize that the beauty, the magnificence, the holiness is intact. And that our divine impetus is to be truly helpful and to bless and bless and bless again and to receive the blessings that are ours to receive. So in this very moment, we are surrendering any idea that healing is fearful, whether it's hidden or it's hiding in plain sight, any idea that something about healing, something about revealing our perfection, something about living our wholeness is not good or less than good, anything like that, we're handing over to that higher Holy Spirit self and we're allowing ourselves to fully recognize and know the perfection that we already are, the freedom that we already are. So grateful to call forth in our own awareness a healing, a healing of everything that is false, sharing the benefits with our brothers and sisters because we are united. We are grateful to let the healing be. We know it's done, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so in this section, The Fear of Healing, chapter 27, section 2, begins on 568 in the FIP version of the text. 
In here, one of the things that Jesus talks about is that forgiveness is not real unless it brings a healing to your brother and yourself. That's paragraph four. Forgiveness is not real, which means it's not going to bring a healing unless it brings a healing to your brother and yourself. So to have, give all to all. This is another way of saying it. So in paragraph six, he Jesus begins with, a miracle can offer nothing less to him, your brother, than it has given unto you. To have forgiveness, to have wholeness, to have healing, we have to offer it to others, to everyone. If we're withholding anything, we don't understand the unity of all life. There is no separation, nor could there ever be. So if we're wanting a healing for ourselves, but thinking it should be withheld from others, if we're wanting release from judgment ourselves, but thinking that it's a good idea to judge anyone else, then we are withholding the healing from ourselves. So we can't have what we're not willing to extend and offer to our brothers and sisters. So that's one theme in this section. Another theme in this section is that many people don't realize that they're afraid of healing. Think of the teachings about sickness is a defense against the truth. Sickness is a defense against the truth. And how could that be? How could sickness be a defense against the truth? And what Jesus teaches us is that sickness is a manifestation of our beliefs. And that if we're experiencing sickness, we are identifying with the body, which we are not a body, so that's not the truth. If we're experiencing sickness, we're also, it's a defense against the truth because we are often thinking that the way to heal the body is in the world of form. And goodness knows we're pretty attached to working in the world of form rather than at the level of the mind. And so... most of us would find it challenging to only work at the level of the mind. But a lot of us can get behind working at the level of the mind and doing some things in form. So for me, that's how I work. And we also can realize that we have superstitions, We have other things that come into play. So, for instance, every now and then, I have trouble falling asleep. It's unusual, and it tends to happen around a full moon. That I get into bed normally, and I'm asleep within a very short period of time and into a deep sleep. 
But sometimes around the full moon, I get into bed. I'm very tired, falling asleep, practically. I do prayer and meditation. I usually take a shower before bed and then do prayer and meditation. And so I'm very relaxed, very ready to fall asleep. But sometimes, even though that's how it feels when I get into bed, I don't fall asleep right away. So I've learned that if I'm not falling asleep right away, one thing that works for me, and I do not know why, but if I get up and take three aspirin, I usually am asleep in five minutes. So I don't even do that once a month. A few times a year, I would say I do it. And it works. Is it something physical? I honestly don't think that it is. I I really don't think it is. However, it works. I think it's, I believe it works. I think it's a kind of a, um, oh, what's the word? You know what I mean. Uh, placebo for me. But it works. Placebo or not, it works. And a few aspirin a year, not going to hurt me. So I uh, I don't think I would take aspirin if I had a fever. I wouldn't do that. Maybe if I had a super high fever. Anyway, I give it as an example that when I don't fall right to sleep, I I don't get out of the bed and meditate. If I wake up in the night and I don't fall right back to sleep, then I know I'm being called to prayer. And that to me is a very different thing. So I'm, I'm just using the aspirin example of how we... I don't, I don't work at the level of the mind, although I do call upon the angels to help me fall asleep, and that I find works well too. So um, I'm just being honest and transparent that uh, sometimes if I have a headache, I, I, I get certain headaches. I think it's related to shifts and movements with the earth and the sun and the magnetic field and solar flares and things like that. I don't really know because... I don't have the bandwidth to track those kinds of things. But every now and then I go through three or four days of headaches on my crown chakra. And it's a different kind of a headache than I used to get. I used to get a kind of a tension headache every now and then. And I took that to mean I was conflicted about something. And I could always see what I was conflicted about. But when I get these particular headaches, I have no idea what's going on. But I will do things like I'll drink a very strong cup of coffee, and that will seem to alleviate the headache. I will use peppermint oil. I'm a huge fan of essential oils. And sometimes I think, I, I, I sh- not in the podcast, but maybe someday I'll do a class or something. I'm an amateur aromatherapist, and I just have loved working with essential oils for 20 years now. I just love them. And thinking of some other examples of 
So maybe if I got one of those crown chakra headaches, I would take aspirin. But usually a strong cup of coffee, some peppermint oil will take care of it for me. But I don't, I noticeably do not work at the level of the mind. I work at the level of the physical. So I'm just outing myself, saying what's what. However, if I have a cold or a flu or a sinus infection, uh, things like that, I definitely do work at the level of the mind. I absolutely do. There's no question of it. Now, this section two in chapter 27, entitled The Fear of Healing, begins with this. It's a couple pages long, this section. And uh, let's see, it's one, two, three, about four pages long. Begins with, is healing frightening? To many, yes. For accusation is a bar to love, and damaged bodies are accusers. Now let's break this down, because sometimes these sentences, if we see them on the page, it makes more sense. But if we're hearing somebody say them, our mind resists it. Because we are actually resisting the healing. I know sometimes when people are reading things to me, I feel like I need to see it to comprehend it. But it really depends on where my level of resistance is, on whether or not I actually need to see it. Interesting. So, is healing frightening to many? Yes. Now, one of the things he's saying here is damaged bodies are accusers. So what does that mean? Damaged bodies are accusers. So we could say a sick body, an unwell body is an accuser. What is the, who is the accused? Who is the accused? It can be that I'm not good enough that God doesn't really love me. So accusing myself or accusing God. And it says here, accusation is a bar to love. So when we have attack thoughts, I think uh, we could easily substitute accusation for attack here. So a damaged body is an attacker. It's an attack on God and it's an attack on our holiness. And attacks or accusations are a bar to love. They block the flow of love. So our job is not to seek for love, but to seek within our own awareness for all the barriers that we've built against love. Now, it says here, damaged bodies stand firmly in the way of trust and peace proclaiming that the frail can have no trust and that the damaged have no grounds for peace. Who has been injured by his brother and could love and trust him still? So the damaged body stands firmly in the way of trust and peace. How can we trust God if we're sick? 
if we have a damaged body, if we're born with a um, twisted spine, if we're born without the ability to see, if we're, we have any kind of difficulty, how can we trust God? How can we be at peace? Makes sense, right? Proclaiming that the frail can have no trust. So think about times in your life when you have felt very frail and very vulnerable. Did you have any trust? Where was your trust? I think of a time when I was traveling for a long period and I went to a dentist in a foreign country and I'd actually been to him before. I was in Greece and there was something, and I was just getting a teeth cleaning, but there was something about, I don't know, something going on with me. First of all, I, I've had some wonderful dentists in my life. I have a dear friend who's a dentist. I have nothing against dentists or dentistry. Oh my God, what a helpful profession. But I do find that it is challenging to me to have someone with their fingers in my mouth and someone scraping on my teeth, poking in my gums. I do find it challenging. So I work at meditating in the chair, relaxing my mind and my thoughts and in order to stay in peace and not have my peace be disturbed. And I definitely put my trust in the care of the one, the person or people who are attending to me, because why let them attend to me if I don't trust them? But in this case, even though I had been to him before, I was in some way irked. I'm trying to remember now what it was. What I think it might have been is he kept me waiting for a very long time. And in that waiting, I became annoyed, maybe judgmental. I think he kept me waiting the time before as well. And that's how it can be in foreign countries sometimes. That can be standard operating procedure. Uh, it's interesting, I'm realizing now that the last time I had my teeth cleaned, uh, I, I've got a new dentist here in Vermont, and the first time I was late, and they would only do, they wouldn't clean my teeth, they'd only give me an exam, and I really needed to have my teeth cleaned. In fact, I would have rather have had that than the exam, I think. But... um so it was like they penalized me for being 12 minutes late. And I understand they've got a tight schedule. But then the last time I was there, which was the next time, I think, or the time after that, they kept me waiting t over 20 minutes without saying anything to me, like, you're going to have to wait. And I just thought it was a double standard. But I just decided I'm not going to be annoyed by this. I, I, life is too short. But I think when I was in Greece some years ago, I did get annoyed. And that 
shifted my energetic. And there was something about when he was working on my teeth that it was just so hard for me to stay in the chair. It was so uncomfortable to me. And it was the worst time I've ever had in a dental chair. I I was so uncomfortable. And I left there. I was so tremulous. I was just shaking. And I felt so vulnerable and uncomfortable. Maybe he had an attitude that day. I don't know what was going on. But feeling frail. It's because the thing here is the fra- proclaiming that the, the damaged body proclaims that the frail can have no trust and that the damaged have no grounds for peace. And so I've had issues with my gums and my teeth, as many people have, and there's my sense of frailty. There's my sense of uh, being an accuser against myself, maybe against whatever. And so thinking about it, ruminating on it, there went my peace. I'm inviting you, if you are feeling frail in body, if you've been ill for a while, to look at this thought that your body, your damaged body, as it says here, is an accuser, an attacker. Is it an attacker on God? If God really loved me, God would heal this body. If I really loved God, I would heal my own body. What are, I'm not saying either of these thoughts are true, of course, but what is really going on? What are the perhaps hidden attack thoughts? So it's time for us to go to a break. Let's ponder this on the break, and we'll come back and pick it up. And what I know is the practice of A Course in Miracles is deeply healing. My name is Jennifer Hadley. You're listening to A Course in Miracles. We're walking the talk. We're living the love. And I'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles. Living the love, walking the talk. And we are back. Thank you so much for rejoining, coming back after the break. So we're talking about feeling vulnerable in a body that Course Miracles is calling damaged body, feeling frail, and not having trust in God or even in our ability to make loving choices. Now, Jesus goes to who has been injured by his brother and could love and trust him still. I work with people sometimes who have been molested, abused, raped uh, by their family members. Who could... uh, 
who has been injured by his brother could love and trust him still. He has attacked and will attack again. So the brother, whether it's a uncle, grandfather, father, the the person, the brother, the sister, whoever it is who has attacked will attack again. That that is the ego thought or belief. Protect him not because your damaged body shows that you must be protected from him. Doesn't that make perfect sense? You've been raped, attacked, molested by somebody, injured by somebody. Your damaged body shows that you must be protected from him. That is logical. To forgive may be an act of charity, but not his due. So they're not entitled to forgiveness. It's an act of charity, but they are not due that forgiveness. They are not entitled to it. Our brother, our sister may be pitied for his guilt, but not exonerated. This is the ego view. And if you forgive him his transgressions, you but must add to all the guilt that he has really earned. So the belief, the ego belief is the person is guilty, the injury is real, and we cannot forgive, we'll just set ourselves up for more injury. That is ego operating procedure, standard operating procedure 101. But here's what Jesus makes clear to us, that The unhealed cannot pardon, for they are the witnesses that pardon is unfair. So when we're holding a grudge or a grievance, we cannot forgive. It's not even possible. Because we believe that forgiveness is unfair, so we can't actually do what true forgiveness is. True forgiveness is releasing the meaning we made of it and our judgments, our interpretations. That is not possible for those of us who are thinking that forgiveness is unfair, that people don't deserve forgiveness, that forgiveness is something we give to them. Forgiveness is for ourselves. True forgiveness is for ourselves. There's a sense that with forgiveness, we're saying, it's okay what you did. It's all right. I'm going to forget about it. I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. That's not really what forgiveness is. That is an ego's illusion of forgiveness, and it's not even possible. And that's why Jesus so wisely says to us here, the unhealed cannot pardon. When I And I've talked about this so many times, but just to reiterate what I have said in the past, because I think it's helpful here, when I first started working with forgiveness back in uh, 1999, 2000, first starting to teach about it, that's when I realized that 
oh, people say they have forgiven. They say, I have forgiven this again and again and again. Why can I not let it go? Why, oh, why can I not let it go? Why, when I have forgiven this person so many times, am I still suffering over what happened? And the reason is because true forgiveness means releasing the meaning you made of it and the interpretation. The meaning we made of things, the interpretation, these are judgments and opinions. We cannot hold on to the judgments and opinions and have a healing. The judgments and opinions are the blocks to love which prevent the healing. So the fear of healing that we're talking about here is that in order to have the healing that we desire, whatever it is, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, financial, etheric, whatever the type of healing it is that we desire, in order to have that healing, we have to relinquish the opinions, the judgments, the meaning we made of it. And the opinions, the judgments, the meaning could be what it says about us, what it says about life, that life is hard, that we are unworthy. These are some of the meanings that we make of things, that other people can have love and healing, but I can't because I'm not good enough. And if we believe something like that, then we can use it as justification for not facing challenges, for not trying something that feels difficult or challenging, not risking failure. There's a whole host of things that we would possibly give ourselves permission not to be challenged by. And we don't want to face those challenges, so the way out is to be in this place of saying, I've forgiven, but I haven't actually done the forgiveness. So, paragraph two here, the unhealed cannot pardon. We can't actually do what true forgiveness is as long as we're holding on to those blocks to love. And as soon as people see that and they're willing to let go of the opinions, the judgments, the interpretations, the meaning they made of it, to move into more of a neutral position and to say, what I, I don't know what anything is for, but I'm interested in having healing. I'm not interested in suffering one more minute with this then the miracle has occurred. The willingness is a demonstration of being miracle-minded. The unhealed cannot pardon, for they are witnesses that pardon is unfair. They would retain the consequences of the guilt they overlook. So the person is overlooking their own guilt being projected onto others. And 
they're willing to pay the price for it, the consequences. They would retain the consequences of the guilt they overlook. Yet no one can forgive a sin that he believes is real. So that's the thing. If we can accept, and I'm not saying this is easy, but if we can accept this is an illusion, it's not real. It seems like these things have happened to us. We have experienced them. But they're not on our permanent record. Our permanent record is pristine. Our permanent record is intact. And we can hold this in our mind. That regardless of what has happened to us, we are perfect, whole, and complete. Again, let us be super mindful of anything that we would be afraid of that would not occur if we don't choose to heal. So, for instance, if a person has something that's showing up, it doesn't matter if it's emotional, physical, whatever it is, it's showing up, and because of it, they think, I can't work full-time. Then, if it healed, they would expect themselves to work full-time. Other people, maybe, in their family would expect them to work full-time. But the truth is, they don't want to work full-time. Maybe they don't have a career that they love, that they're excited about. And they don't like what they're doing and they don't see a way to do something else or to follow their bliss and their passion. So instead, they say, I can't work full time. This cannot be healed. This is limiting to me. I think one of the coolest things in the world is when someone has something that the world would see limiting, like they're... They have a wheelchair, they can't see so well, or they can't hear so well, or they can't, they don't have, they have mobility issues, and yet they are determined to have a career, to follow their passion, to live their bliss. What an example to the world. What an example to the world. Beautiful. So, No one can forgive a sin he believes is real. So when we look at our brothers and sisters who perhaps have done us wrong, serious harm, if we keep saying they're bad, they're a sinner, then we are not going to be able to have a true healing and true forgiveness. No one can forgive a sin he believes is real and what the what has consequences must be real because what it has done is there to see so let's say someone is uh, raped and injured they have a spinal injury what has consequences the spinal injury the rape has the consequences of a spinal injury Therefore, it must be real. Because what happened 
to the body is there for everyone to see. Jesus is super challenging us here to either accept the atonement or not. To accept that all is one and that our real life is not in the illusion. This is challenging, very, very challenging. He says, forgiveness is not pity, which but seeks to pardon what it thinks thinks to be the truth. This is the recurring theme of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not looking at a sin and saying, you're a sinner, but I'm going to forgive you. He says here, good cannot be returned for evil. For forgiveness does not first establish sin and then forgive it. Who can say and mean, my brother, you have injured me, and yet, because I am the better of the two, I pardon you my hurt. His pardon and your hurt cannot coexist together, or cannot exist together. Strong medicine. No spoonfuls of sugar to help it go down. We either allow ourselves to know the truth that our experiences in this world are but illusions. Doesn't mean we shouldn't feel angry or mad or hurt. It's that we move through that anger, the hurt. Because we realize the anger and the hurt are the result of our interpretations, making it real, giving it meaning. I have given everything in this room, on this street, in my experience, all the meaning that it has for me. His pardon, so pardoning pardoning others, and your hurt cannot exist together. One denies the other and must make it false. It's challenging. You know, it's what I was saying about recently meditating and really being clear. I do not want to live from ego, decisions and choices and perceptions anymore. I do not wish to energize these kinds of thoughts anymore. Maybe I'll still have them, but I do not wish to invest in them anymore. I am choosing freedom. I am choosing wholeness. I am choosing wisdom and clarity. That's what I'm choosing I am not interested in investing anymore in the perceptions that lead to a sense of suffering. He says, to witness sin, which you can only witness sin if you believe in sin. Sin is an opinion. It's a view of looking at something and calling it a sin. To witness sin and yet forgive it is a paradox that reason cannot see, for it maintains what has been done to you 
deserves no pardon. And by giving it, by giving the pardon, you grant your brother mercy, but retain the proof he is not really innocent. So that's the false view of forgiveness. You offer the pardon, but you retain the proof he's not really innocent. Oh, I'll forgive him, but he is not innocent. He has sinned against me, but I'll pardon him. Oh, yeah, because I am the better of the two. And when we think that forgiving somebody in order to get relief from our pain of um, feeling stuck in the past, feeling unable to move on, it just doesn't work because we are giving in order to get, and that's not how it works. To have, give all to all. Not to get something in return, but to be like our Creator. Be ye perfect as your Creator in heaven is perfect. The sick remain accusers. Now, to me, this is, this is challenging, especially when we feel sick. And this is a time of sickness, pandemic, world pandemic. So many people getting sick. Uh, I would say, uh, I wouldn't say half the people I know have had COVID, but a lot of people I know have had COVID. Are they looking upon themselves as failing, as being bad and wrong? Well, I've had a lot of conversations with people who've had COVID, and many of them do feel like they're a spiritual failure. They are judging themselves for having COVID. To me... What we experience in life, it's showing us where does our mind go when these things happen. When someone, their physical body dies, where does our mind go when that happens? When there's a seeming loss, where does our mind go when that happens? When somebody else gets the job we wanted or the wife or husband we wanted, when somebody else gets the bonus we wanted, when somebody else gets the healing we wanted, where does our mind go? So that's why we begin with self-forgiveness, forgiving ourselves for the interpretations and the meaning we made of things. Now, In the next paragraph, forgiveness is not real unless it brings a healing to your brother and yourself. That's paragraph four. You must attest to his sins. You must attest his sins have no effect on you to demonstrate they are not real. How else could he be guiltless? And how could his innocence be justified unless his sins have no effect to warrant guilt. 
This is why from time to time I talk about how helpful it is to look at any temptations we have to make someone feel guilty. And many times we we say things to make people feel guilty and we don't even consciously recognize that's what we are doing. I find myself doing it. And then I realize, oh, look at that. Because I, after I say it, I don't feel right. Something's off. What is it? Okay. So forgiveness is for everyone. We will benefit more than anyone else when we forgive. Forgiveness is not real unless it brings a healing to your brother and yourself. So we have a fear of healing because if we are experiencing wholeness of body, wholeness of mind, wholeness of our energy body, if we feel a great sense of wholeness, luminosity, high vibrancy, if we feel all of that, more will be expected of us. We'll expect more of ourselves. And so there is a lot of fear that people have about having healing, even if it's what they desire. I have shared about, I had a friend who had AIDS and uh, saw it really as, why can't I heal this AIDS? If I can heal anything, why can't I heal this AIDS, this HIV? And I said, well, are you willing to give up any benefits you receive as uh, someone who is HIV positive? And my friend got very angry with me. There are no benefits to having HIV. Do you not understand what it means? And I said, I mean, I didn't say it this abruptly and bluntly, but basically in the conversation, I said, here's what I see. You are in subsidized housing that's really nice, in a really nice neighborhood. And you don't have to work full time because you get government assistance. You look and appear healthy to everyone who knows you. You look like a very healthy, happy person in many ways. Uh, Beautiful gifts and talents. And you don't have to work full time, so you you can pursue your creative gifts and talents, which you enjoy tremendously. Those seem like benefits to me. Subsidized housing. Yeah, you have to go to doctor's appointments. Yeah, you have to have treatments and things. But I don't see it ruining your life. I see that you get to pursue your art and your passion. I see that you aren't worried about if you can make ends meet because you have a steady income whether you work or not. I see benefits. And my friend never spoke to me again. Did not want to hear that, which I understand. I have compassion for, absolutely. But I think if I hadn't 
touched a nerve, they would have spoken to me again. So I brought up something they didn't want to see. And that sometimes happens, that if we give up this illness, then what is going to be expected of us? If we give up this problem, what is going to be expected of us? We just don't want that responsibility. We don't want that opportunity. We say we do, but we don't. This is what the fear of healing is about. And I've looked long and hard at myself in this because for years and years, I said, how am I ever going to be a successful spiritual teacher? That's my passion. That's what I'd like to do. But I don't have money to uh, hire marketing people and people to do websites and things like that. I don't have that kind of money. I, I can barely pay my bills. So I, I lived in just pay, barely paying my bills for a long time until I started to have a breakthrough. And my breakthrough came really because my passion for teaching, for speaking, for sharing, for helping was strong. And it gave me the strength to do the self-forgiveness. I made myself do the self-forgiveness work. And that is the core of my programs. Uh, many people will say, oh, you know, that that forgiveness stuff, eh, I, I have forgiven. I, I don't need to really work on that. But I tell you, they come into my programs and they realize, oh, yeah, I didn't really forgive that. I could see now why it held me back for so long. I really did fool myself into thinking I had forgiven it, but I hadn't. Many, many people, the majority, we all resist doing the self-forgiveness work. That's the thing. So my Finding Freedom Boot Camp is happening June, in June, mid-June. We're closing registration on June 20th, Monday, June 20th. If you'd like to join us, gosh, I'd love to have you. It's such a great way to have extraordinary healing and to transform our lives And don't we love doing it together? Make some new spiritual friends, have some breakthroughs and transformation. That's what we're about. Yes, yes, yes. All right. All the details for Finding Freedom are at jenniferhadley.com. I invite you to come check it out. Come join us. And uh, if you're interested, but you're not sure, then here's what you can do. You can book an exploratory call with one of the spiritual counselors that can answer any question that you have. You see if it's right for you right now. Follow your intuition. You cannot fail. If you can't find your intuition, join with another. Be in that joining and you'll be surprised how, ah, now I can hear my intuition. All right, let's pray. So grateful and thankful for the love of God. It shines in our heart, shines in our mind. It is awake and alive within us. We are sharing this love, this healing, and dropping the fear to have a healing. We are willing and we are grateful. 
to share the benefits with everyone. We let it be, and so it is. Amen. 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 I love you. Mwah.